Welcome to Copyright Clearance Center's podcast series. I'm Christopher Keneally for Beyond the Book. It's Friday, April 20th, 2018. Our weekly guest on the show is Andrew Albanese, Publishers Weekly senior writer, who joins me today from the magazine's office in Manhattan. Welcome back to Beyond the Book, Andrew. Hey there, Chris. So this week, another big political book dropped, James Comey's long-anticipated autobiography, A Higher Loyalty, Truth, Lies, and Leadership. So is this another fire and fury? Well, that's right. The year that political book is continuing here this week with James Comey's publication. And to answer your question, no, this has certainly not been a fire and fury moment thus far. And that's actually good and bad. Uh, In fact, you know, I've started to revise my earlier criticism of how fire and fury was handled, which we can talk about later. But first, it looks like Macmillan has another number one bestseller on their hands. And what a strong year it's really been for them. And it's only April. They had Michael and Wolf's Fire and Fury, of course, which sold over a million copies. Uh, Hans Rosling's Factfulness, which was number three on last week's bestseller list. And now Comey, which hasn't hit the list yet, but appears to be uh, coming in pretty strong. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Comey's going to have a long way to go before he catches Michael Wolff, however, and I'm actually not sure that Comey will ever catch Michael Wolff. Um, it's still too early to get sales figures, and indeed, it won't register on the PW bestseller list at least until the following week. But it is number one on Amazon at the moment. It is number one on the Barnes & Noble list at the moment. Uh, and we do know that Macmillan has ordered a print run of, I think, up to 850,000 copies now. But you know, suffice it to say, this is really not the headline grabber that Michael Wolff's salacious book proved to be earlier in the year. So comparisons of higher loyalty and fire and fury are no doubt unfair, but they are inevitable in this media environment. And for author Comey and his publisher, what's the good and the bad on that toe-to-toe comparison? Well, what's good is that there actually are books in the bookstores for James Comey. Our listeners will remember that the way Fire and Fury was laid down, it basically led to no one having books for weeks in some cases. Uh, And that is not the case with Comey. There are plenty of books out there. Uh, Everything went pretty smoothly. But what's not so good is that the books don't seem to be flying off the shelves. Indeed, there was reports coming out of Washington that at the at the, the midnight opening of Comey's book, he had a midnight press event that it was all journalists in the audience. There was only one person that actually came in to buy the book. Everybody else was just there to, you know, for the story. Uh, and indeed, this book really isn't so much about Trump than about Comey. And while Comey certainly has strong feelings about Trump and tells his side of the story about their interactions, uh, it's just not going to generate the heat that Michael Wolff's insidery account of the White House cast of characters did. And Comey just isn't, he's just not Michael Wolff. Comey in many ways is a much more sober messenger than Michael Wolff was, and he has a much more sobering message in his book. But, you know, it's just not as entertaining as Wolff's portrait was of the, you know, the West Wing circus that is the Trump administration. And listeners will recall, Andrew, that you faulted McMillan in January over the rollout of Fire and Fury. You say you've now begun to reevaluate your critique. Why the rethink? Were you wrong? Well, yes and no. <laughs> I'm going to hear a lot of yes and no's and good and bads, I think, on this story. So, you know, first I have to say that no, I won't have to eat my hat. You know, I remember saying, uh, you know, back in, in January that, you know, if we were still talking about Michael Wolff's book in April, I'd eat my hat. Uh, but while I guess we are technically still talking about him, uh, his book, for the most part, has begun to slip off the bestseller lists. And I think by any candid assessment, the rollout of the book was still botched. You know, what happened with Fire and Fury is that the book was never really effectively announced to the trade, so pre-orders and library holds were low, and so that meant the publisher just failed to understand how many 
what the demand was going to be, and they didn't have enough books to meet demand once it really hit, and boy, did it really hit. But what I'm looking at now suggests that the fact that no one could get Fire and Fury at the time, the fact that the book was being talked about and that it wasn't in bookstores, well, it created this media narrative that I think very likely animated the sales environment. In the end, it sold over a million copies, and that's great. You can't shake a stick at a million copies ever on any book. And I'm not sure it would have without the narrative that this book was you know, too hot to handle. Because most consumers, mind you, they only knew that the book was sold out. They didn't know that it was sold out because the publisher kind of botched the rollout. Um, so they just thought it was just this big hot title and that generated a lot of buzz. Now what we're seeing with Comey on the other hand, we have a warehouse full of books, we have a totally normal rollout, and you know, we have a narrative that relies mostly on the author himself. And I'm not sure that's going to cut it. You know, it's certainly not going to get it into Michael Wolf territory. Uh, again, to use the phrase good and bad, uh, James Comey isn't Michael Wolf. That's good and bad. <laughs> All right. Well, when Beyond the Book returns, PW's Andrew Albanese has more on the politics of book sales. I'm Christopher Keneally with Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book. Publishers Weekly Radio has the very best in book talk directly from New York City, the heart of the book publishing world. I'm Mark Rotella, Senior Editor at Publishers Weekly. And I'm Rose Fox. I'm a Senior Reviews Editor at Publishers Weekly. Join us every Friday for a full hour of exciting author interviews, best-selling books, and expert reports on the nuts and bolts of publishing. Every week, we make sure that you have the inside story of your favorite story. Take a listen at publishersweekly.com slash pwradio. I'm Christopher Keneally for Copyright Clearance Center's Beyond the Book with Andrew Albanese of Publishers Weekly. It's Friday, April 20th, 2018, and we are both back this week, Andrew, from the London Book Fair, where you reported that the show director, Jax Thomas, had pointed in her kickoff press conference to rising nonfiction sales in 2018, all of it driven by political books. Any sense just how much publishers around the world are benefiting from the political chaos? Yeah, well, that, you know, that was definitely a theme at the London Book Fair this year. Well, they certainly are benefiting greatly. Publishers are seeing a lot of new sales. They're seeing growth in nonfiction. And it's really been an amazing story to watch, considering that in 2016, publishers were lamenting how the political environment and how the campaign was dragging their sales down and how people were feeling fatigued by the nonstop news coverage. Well, if anything, the news coverage has only picked up since Trump has been elected. And of course, in Europe, you've got Brexit and issues like that. But people, too, are now they're clamoring for political books. And you know, a quick look at New York Times bestseller list from last week backs me up here, I think. I think 11 of the top 15 titles were political books. You had books by Madeleine Albright and Jimmy Carter. You had David Isakoff and Corrin's Russian Roulette and Cecile Richards and Tim Scott and Trey Gowdy. And of course, Michael Wolf was still on there uh, and he sold big numbers, of course. And James Comey has yet to even hit that list. Uh, and of course, there are conservative books out there too. Books not from journalists or from politicians, but from people like Jerome Corsi, whose book on deep state and this uh, alleged conspiracy against Trump is pretty high in the bestseller list. Uh, we also have Peter Schweitzer's Secret Empires. And of course, Schweitzer wrote the Clinton Cash book. And most notably, these books are selling in larger volumes than in previous years of non-political bestsellers. So the bestsellers that we're seeing now that are political in nature are selling more than just your, your average bestseller in the nonfiction 
list would sell. And I think it's fair to say that after being challenged by the environment back in 2016, publishers are benefiting from the political environment that we now find ourselves in. Well, what's your take, Andrew, on whether there could be a fatigue setting in soon on political titles? Well, for the near future, I would say the publishers are going to continue to benefit from this. There's still a lot of energy out there, I think. but uh, And there's lots more books in the pipeline. You'll, you'll see that when we have our uh, annual listings coming up. They'll be out in June, and you can see that there's plenty more forthcoming uh, in the political realm. Uh, and, of course, there are new news stories every day. Uh, and, of course, we have a special prosecutor in a Russia investigation, which I think we're going to be publishing books about for, for years after that finally wraps up. But at the same time, I do think it's going to be interesting to watch how the midterm campaigns impact people's book buying. And of course, you know, the other side of the coin here is fiction. You know, it's just harder to break good new fiction when people are so deeply, actively involved in political debates and campaigns. So it's harder to find time to just curl up with a good book and, and, and just forget about, you know, some of the other things going on in the world. So for now, I'd say... Politics are definitely going to be with us. They're definitely going to be fueling sales in the publishing industry, at least for the near future and probably for some time. But I have to say, if I'm being honest with you, Chris, I'm feeling a bit fatigued myself. In a world of red states, blue states, and the deep state, it's good to have the latest on the state of publishing today and every Friday from Andrew Albanese at Publishers Weekly. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, as always. Coming next on Beyond the Book, in scholarly publishing around the world, open access is a well-established fact. A study appearing in February 2018 in the OA mega-journal PeerJ estimated that at least 28% of scholarly literature is OA, some 19 million articles in total. OA mandates that authors and publishers have advanced the cause considerably, yet raised many questions for stakeholders in academia. Indeed, the evolving relationship of publishers and institutional libraries faces critical challenges. At the recent London Book Fair, a panel offered for me assessments of the state of open access today, as well as possible directions for sustainable publishing workflow solutions. The day-to-day -day realities of open access are very complicated and more complicated than perhaps uh, I certainly imagined in the early days. We, we work with many different stakeholders. They have different feelings. Some of them embrace open access, some of them you know, are more cautious, some people are outright hostile still, I think. So, so working with these different stakeholder groups is complex and it's evolving as well, so that makes planning for the future very difficult. The landscape is changing greatly, I think, still. We're, we're, it's definitely not at a kind of a status quo that's going to continue, I think. So that complexity and diversity, I feel, is, is, is a feature of today. The transition to open access. Next on Beyond the Book. Beyond the Book is produced by Copyright Clearance Center, a global leader in content management, discovery, and document delivery solutions. Through its relationships with those who use and create content, CCC and its subsidiaries Rights Direct and Nixis drive market-based solutions that accelerate knowledge, power publishing, and advance copyright. Beyond the Book co-producer and recording engineer is Jeremy Brisky of Burst Marketing. I'm Christopher Keneally. Join us again soon on Beyond the Book.